Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm Nathan Staples, and joining me this evening are Jeremy Smith and Peter Rutzler. No one is doing big bouts like Ligue 1 this season, and yet again, another huge game brought out the best in both teams. But who else broke records? I don't think Lekeep mentioned it. And who simply broke down? All that and more after your latest headlines. Dijon returned to winning ways on Friday night as they beat Rennes 2-1 in a solid performance. 38-year-old Florent Baumont scored his first for three years and his first for the club before Julio Tavares netted in the second half to cancel out Ismaili Sarr's equaliser. Paris Saint-Germain returned to winning ways and got some kind of revenge on Montpellier in a 4-0 victory. Having been held goalless by Michel de Zakarian's men in the reverse fixture, a Neymar double and Edison Cavani's record-breaking strike were enough for the leaders. In the multiplex, Mets pulled off another victory as they beat Nice 2-1 thanks to a Nolan Rue double and managerless Toulouse stole a 1-0 win from 10-man Trois. Paul-Georgen Tep scored his first Saint-Étienne goal and his first goal in Ligue 1 for over a year in their 2-1 win against Caen. Not 1-3-0 away to Gangap to separate themselves from the pack in fifth. And Angers won their third home game in a row with a 1-0 victory over Amiens. On Sunday, Lille continued their recovery under Christophe Galtier as they saw off Strasbourg 1-0. Uh, sorry, uh, 2-1, <laughs> I should say. Uh, while Gus Poye uh, began his new era at Bordeaux, it couldn't have started much better, really, as the home side dispatched of Lyon in a strong 3-1 victory. In the final match of the weekend, Marseille and Monaco played out another top four cracker. Kaita Balde gave the visitors an early lead, but Adil Rami hit straight back. And after half-time, former Monegasque striker Valer Germain put Loem in front only for Fabinho to steal a point from the Stade Velodrome. And that's all for now. But for all your latest news in the world of French football, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. We start this week with that game on Sunday night between Marseille and Monaco, who played out a real barnstormer. Neither could quite seize upon Lyon's misfortune from early in the day, which we'll talk about a little later. Um, but these big games keep delivering, don't they, Peter? Yeah, they do. I mean, we've, we've had a treat every Sunday night, it seems, for, for the big games. Um Obviously, it was Leon PSG last week. Um, obviously, the six-one before in the reverse fixture, and the uh, <laughs> classic also had the drama, didn't it, with the Neymar red card and Cavani's late goal. And once again, we, we were we were given a, a treat for the eyes without trying to roll out too many cliches. But you know, it, it's it's a good thing for Liga. I mean, especially in terms of um, marketing and how we've talked about how. It's been ridiculed, you know, we had Farmers League with the Neymar arrival at Gangol and then uh, when he played at Gangol. And, you know, just it just bucks the trend a little bit in that it's been consistently able to show that when the big clubs meet, you're getting a, uh, a, a good showing, you're getting a spectacle, but also high-quality performances, high-quality matches. And last night, uh, we saw bits of that. Um, a great game as well. Um, but a point that I think both may take, but, I mean... In terms of the the turnaround from when they first met uh, back in August, uh, I don't think anyone would have expected that that Marseille would now be above Monaco in the league table, and I, and I think you know that's testament to to Garcia's uh, to his work and, and going back to basics really with, with Marseille. And yeah, no, the two sides put on a, a good spectacle last night, and it's it's really good for the league as well. Yeah, it always is, and it's great to see these uh, teams locking horns and really. Uh... Going at it, it seems, and we'll start really with with Marseille. Really, um, we've questioned at times their form against the the top sides in Ligue 1 in, in previous seasons. They had a good game against uh, Paris Saint Germain earlier this season, but the games against Lyon, the games against Marseille, they didn't quite live up to the standard that we hoped they might be able to get to. Now they're starting to to grow. A uh, uh, Marseille, Jez, starting to show that they can hang with the big teams in these kind of big games. Um, they're getting there. I mean, I, I've been 
quite critical of them during the season. But I do think that they've been steadily improving during the season, both against the uh, the poor teams and and the better teams. I think they're they're sort of up there in the top top three or four um, because they're sort of weirdly getting a lot more consistent good results against the other teams, whereas Lyon and Monaco are somehow still dropping points here and there. Um, and yeah, against against the other members of the top three, it hasn't been so good. Um, but I think this was... I thought, I mean, it might be harsh, but I discount PSG a tiny bit because that really is such, um, such a sort of derby, such a grudge match that it is one of those ones where form goes out of the window to an extent. Um, in the other matches, obviously the, the first one against Monaco where they got smashed and um, against Lyon when they lost 2-0. And, you know, I, I don't think Lyon really needed to go out, out of second or third gear in that match. I thought Marseille really unimpressive. So I think the whole season has been a sort of gradual improvement. And, yeah, I thought yesterday was probably the, the best of the matches they played against the top three as well. Um, I don't, I think probably the draw was a fair result. I'm not sure either team necessarily deserved to lose, but um, it definitely shows that, yeah, Marseille are on the right track, albeit Monaco are sort of having a, a disappointing season. I still kind of think in a way that um, their their league position flatters them quite a lot as well. Yeah, it's one of those strange seasons, isn't it? We're really in league on. There's quite a, a bunch in the middle of the table that um, at least these bigger teams are taking advantage of it right now. But uh, someone who has impressed throughout the season, and some people are even labelling as the man that's that's carried Marseille at times this season, really, Peter, is, is Florian Tovan. Um, he had another good evening, really, tormenting that um, left right-hand side with uh, Dirubio Subdive, um, his opponent. It was a maybe a little bit too easy for him at times, but he really pulls the strings for them at the moment and they sort of play to his whim. It's getting less reliant on him, but um, he is really still their main man. Yeah, very much so. And I think the the argument about him carrying the team, you know, it does have a lot of validity. He does seem to take them to another level and his performances have been outstanding. Um, I think against uh, Sidibe last night, I mean, Sidibe's not a left-back and I think it showed... And I think it was a bit, um, but not naive. But it was a bit. Of, it was definitely a gamble from from Jardim to try that. Um, I mean, it not they had better options at their disposal. But um, Tovan showed his quality, and and he caused him real issues. He did. He did turn him inside out on regular occasions. There was that flick over his head, um, and you know, it's 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 been it's great to see. I mean, we've talked about Tovan all season about how well he's done and. Um, we've mentioned how when he went to the Premier League, it was too early. And now we're looking at a definitely a more uh, mature performer, um, someone who is able to change games on his own. He's not inconsistent. He's turning up every single week. And the contrast you have with, with Tovan and, and Dimitri Payet is, is quite profound. It has been since, since Payet's returned anyway. And I think we saw a bit of that last night. I don't think Payet turned up. Um, against Strasbourg last week, I thought he did well, and obviously, you know, he, he captured the world's attention again with that step over the injured Akija, the, the Strasbourg keeper. Um, but we, we haven't seen anything like the the Payet that we knew from Euro 2016. But and and it's Tovan's the man who, who has you know carried the carried the flame for for OM. So I think when we're looking ahead to the World Cup, especially those two will definitely be vying for potentially the same spot. I think Deschamps looks at Tovin and Payet and they look at, and he looks at, at the options he gives them. Payet can go on the left, he can go in the centre. Tovin can go on the right and the centre can go on the left as well. And, and I think that versatility, of course, is key to Deschamps. And I think he will look at the two of them as, as you know, one or the other. And, and Tovin is by far and away the more effective player. And, and now he's being he's attracting interest again from big clubs, um, which is which is really good to see. And, and his return has has done him well. And it'd be nice to see. <laughs> I was talking about it earlier in the week with with uh, uh, on Twitter about uh, Mishi Batshuayi. You know, he's, if Marseille have been able to bring him back, and you can see the turnaround that Tovan's had, um, and not that Batshuayi's out of form, but just a chance to play consistently. And you're, you're looking at 
uh, a real recovery. But he's done very, very well this season. And last night, again, we saw that. And he's turning up in the big games. So to me, Tovaz kind of exactly the, the sort of um, the player who represents Marseille at the moment. Like I think for a lot of the season, he's been playing very well against the lesser teams and gone completely missing against the big teams. But again, yesterday, I thought it was of the matches against the, the top teams, it's, it's, it was his best performance. Um, I, for me, it's still Gustavo who sort of really makes Marseille tick. And I think that their better performances are usually the ones where Sanson plays well. And in the last sort of month or two, it's been great to see Germain hitting form as well. But um, yeah, Thomas like clearly the main sort of attacking man now and yeah I completely agree that Payet is, to me he's a bit of a busted flush and I just I thought it was a strange uh, re-signing him made sense but for that amount of money I thought it was a very strange decision and I, I'm not sure that his I don't think his performances overall since he came back have have justified the fee at all. I think it was um, Rich who, who mentioned it before about that that core of Marseille that you know you've got Mondonda Gustavo, as you mentioned, and, and, and Tovan, and, and Sanson, you can probably include in that as well, that seem to have carried the team. And it's now, and Garcia over this long period where they've gone, I think it's one loss in 18, I think now, it's sort of just been building around that. And there's still some work to be done. And, you know, as we were saying about Payet, you know, he's, he doesn't, he's been underwhelming. Or Campos as well, he, very much a hit and miss sort of player. And yeah. he's finally different bits. Like Germain, of course, has come in and, and now looks, really looks the part. And is actually, I think, benefiting Tovan and especially with the attacking options they have better than the Troglu anyway <laughs> well that's the thing when, when we saw Germain come to them in the summer we thought that's that's an excellent move for him that's the right kind of move for him at where he is he's he's starting to you know wasn't getting the game time at Monaco he maybe might have done had <laughs> had they known that Kylian Mbappe was definitely going to leave in the in the summer he might have even been a, a starting berth but giving him that chance at Marseille now. Now he's got more players around him. That was probably the problem at the start. He was a little bit too isolated. He was he succeeded at Nice with having Ben Arthur nice and close to him and, and linking with him and, and adding to that attacking threat, really. And Payet, he still feels like that statement signing, really, doesn't he? It's, it was the name that mattered more than anything else. It, that was the, the name to put them back on the map in terms of the spending power that they have and the fact they wanted to be a a recognisable name on the on the world front again, but he had a really awful game last night, especially in the first half. He was just sour. He was moaning at every decision. He had three or four fouls where he had to, the referee had to be reminded how many fouls he'd given to be able to give him a booking. But um, he was just tepid. It seems it's it's a real shame that he's just never really hit the heights again. It, it, since that sort of stumble at West Ham, as his head was turned, he's never really really recovered. Um, but talking about Monaco, obviously, and they had a part to play in this game quite nicely, at least anyway. Um, they have a couple of issues still throwing around them, really, Jez. It, it, they're still trying to find the right mix. They went with a, a 4-2-3-1 in this one with, with Jao Moutinho further forward. Uh, Lamar, I suppose, they has a leg injury. That's why he's out. He's also out in Wednesday. But take that maybe with a grain of salt if rumours start to build up, but we'll wait and see. Um, are they still trying to fit in the likes of Kaita Balde, Yuri Tillemans? They still feel like they're a little bit disjointed at this moment, similar to maybe what we saw with this Monaco side two years ago, where they were still finding their rhythm and finding their uh, their place in Liga. Yeah, I think that um, is proving sort of time and again what a good manager he is, that he's somehow managing to hang in there in the, in the top top four considering that it hasn't yet clicked with, with the players and yeah I don't think it's any coincidence that the only summer where they didn't really sell too many and kept the core of the team together the following year um, he won Ligue 1 um, this one's going to recover quickly from from the sale of the, the calibre of players that they sold last summer so in a sense I think he's still doing well to, to be up there at the same time I mean it is it is now nearly February, um, and it, it does feel a little bit like he's sort of still trying to work out what his best team is. Um, Lamar actually is probably one of the reasons why that hasn't been straightforward because he sort of started the season in blistering form, 
lost a bit of form, has had a couple of injuries, so had a bit of a stop-start return. Um, and yeah, some of, some of the newer players haven't entirely bedded in yet. I do like Balde a lot, but he seems to sort of drift in and out of games. Um, I mean, the interest one, interesting one to me is, um, we were talking about Shamad before, is Falcao, because the two of them played brilliantly together last year. I think both of them play better in a front two. And it's taken Germain a long time to, to get used to being the, the sort of, uh, sort of lone man up front for Marseille. And yeah, recently Jardin's changed to a, to, changed to one up front as well. And Falcao has not going to say completely lost form, but certainly doesn't look the same player he is with, with a strike partner. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think that's one of the big things that, that, they need to work on. I, I think he's, you know, such a good, clever player that he probably will adapt like Lajana has, but um, it may well take time. Mm, yeah, it's, it's felt he, he got off to a blistering start as well, but it's been more stop-start in the sort of last couple of months for him, hasn't it? It's it's not really clicked with uh, Lamar, uh, no, Kaita Balde, Jovetic maybe hasn't really had a chance, but at the same time, I don't think Jardim thinks he can he can play a four four two with the midfielders he's got at the moment, even if he mixes in a Andoram or something like that. But uh, I did want to quickly mention Peter on on Tielemans, who's was a big name signing. Is it maybe a little bit too harsh to expect so much of him? I know there's a big price tag and a big reputation coming um, from the Belgian league and a, and a lot of clubs were monitoring him, but are we maybe expecting a little bit too much too soon, even though we're in January now and he's still not, well, late January now, and he's still not quite um, established in this team? I've been a little bit surprised. I mean, we expected a lot from him when, when he joined uh, from Anderlecht and from his reputation and, and what he's done in, in, in Belgium. Um, he hasn't yet established himself in the way you'd think he would. Um, I think it's a lot to do with how they're setting up and how Jardim is, is using him. Um, and it, it is part of that process that, that Jez was outlining, trying to find the right system that suits the players he's got. Uh, and, and it does feel like this season is definitely one of transition for Monaco again, as he, as he seeks to put the pieces of, of the puzzle together. Um, with Tielemans in particular, I feel like he's been used too deep. Um, from what I've read about him, I mean, I can't claim to, to have watched him at Anderlecht and, and, and his form there. But what, you, what you hear and what you see about him was a player that was in the final third uh, of the field for most, most of his games. He was the kind of player who would move from the centre of the park forward. And it alongside Fabinho in midfield in a two or, or with Giammatino in, in a three, it just seems a little bit imbalanced. Uh, of course, Fabinho can do the, the defensive work, but he also has a tendency to move forward. And I think one of the overriding issues, I think, with with Monaco this season has been trying to replace Bakayoko. And obviously, Bakayoko has struggled, struggled in England. Um, but his role in, in the 4-4-2 last season was very well defined. It was very simple and very straightforward. And, and there wasn't the burden of creativity on him. Uh, he allowed others to play. And I think with what Monaco have got in the middle of the park, they've got Jean Moutinho, who's getting on a bit and doesn't have the legs to cover ground in the way that you'd need someone to do that in front of in front of the back four. You've got Fabinho, who, who can do the defensive roles, but ha- hasn't shone in the way he did last season for me anyway. I think we saw a glimpse of what he can do. I mean, he's got a great goal yesterday, but I won't call that his forte. Um, but for, and, and Tielemans, I feel... When he plays slightly more defensive, I feel like that's restricting him a little bit. And I think he's perhaps adapting to it. I don't think it's not a case of, oh, he can't do that. But I think he's probably be more effective in, in the final third. But I don't think there's a position for him behind uh, a striker or in the way that we probably want to see him. So I think there's that, that, there is that aspect to it. And there is adaptation. And, and I think there's definitely more to come from him. And it is surprising it's taken him so long. But... Again, it's all about this transition and what, what Jardim's trying to build again. Yeah, it's trying to figure out the right set of pieces, isn't it? It almost feels like a Rubik's Cube at the moment. And Tielemans is one of those pieces that it feels like he should be getting more out of, and, but it's not quite figured it out. I, I agree with your initial statement there that he's probably a little bit better further forward. His best game for me was that that Leipzig game in the first, uh, it, well, in Germany, where he did play further forward. He he seemed more involved and, and obviously... Uh, got himself on the score sheet as well. It, it does seem maybe that's uh, where his future might lie, but we're, we will, should wait and see, really. Uh, it, 
it was a successful start, at least, for someone else this weekend. As Gus Poye began his reign at Bordeaux by beating Lyon at 3-1. It's a bit of a surprise result still, even though you would think those clubs are slightly closer than they are this season, Jez. How did they manage to pull off that kind of result? Uh, I think that's um, probably a mixture of a few factors. I mean, Lyon are always able to to throw in an awful performance um, out of nowhere. Um, I think they're coming off the back of seven straight away wins, but um, you know they are a young team and they do have some uh, mistake prone players. So it's it's not always a huge shock when when they throw a match away. Um, I think there's an element of a sort of new manager bounce most teams except Mets maybe usually see an up, upturn in form when, um, as soon as a manager comes in and certainly Poyet I think is the type that at least for his first month or so would be able to kind of really G up his players um, Bordeaux have been improving the, the last couple of weeks anyway so um, it's not uh, you know their good performance didn't come completely out of nowhere and then, you know, I'm certainly not putting it down just to that because Bordeaux were the better team and deserved it. But it does help when you go tune it up thanks to the most disgraceful dive. I think that's exactly where we should really start, to be fair. Um, I mean, they were already 1-0 up in, in fairness and, and it was a, a good finish from Nicolas de Preville. He looks a little bit solid. It was a great break as well, actually. Yeah, uh, both two goals out of two, but uh, it seems like the maybe it was Jocelyn Gorvenek that was holding him back a little bit. But he does look better on the on the left hand side. But then that moment really that is the moment of the game. Really, it's um, a little theatrical, is maybe the way to put it, uh, Peter. It's it's, uh, it's in all honesty an abysmal dive, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I can't really. Can't really find a way of phrasing it. I mean, it it is very theatrical. The only thing I will say, and we'll give him, I don't think it's credit, but you know, he's he's played the dive well. I mean, technically, he's done it exactly in the way that would fool the referee. I mean, <laughs> he's got the timing right. He's got the right angle. He knows where the referee's looking at him. He's got the positioning so that he knows his legs will move in the right direction. So I mean, it looked theatrical, but you know, I think you could see why he's given it. So, I mean, if you want to praise him that way, then the technique for the dive was was good, but that makes it absolutely appalling, as Jez was saying, and. Yeah, he's it's, it's, it's sold the referee, and you are disappointed that the referee has fallen for it in a way. I mean, I, I, it's, you know, there's, there's no retrospective action, so there's not like we're going to see any um, combat in France. And maybe that's something they should, they should, they should look into. Um, you know, it would, if, I, I think it was, um, I think Metz against Nice, I think Shrafi went down very, very softly. I would almost call that a dive from my perspective, even if there was slight contact. Um, but you, you can't, you can't get rid of this sort of thing from the game without some kind of punishment. And I think with, with Malcolm, it's, it, it's not like there was, it was nowhere near. Um, he has, he's, has flopped theatrically, not in the traditional sense. If you haven't seen it, it's worth watching. He's flopped backwards onto himself. Um, so, um, but yeah, it, it, it was game changing as Jez was saying. And, you know, when the, the second goal was, was crucial, um, and then obviously there's a mistake from Lopez with the second penalty as well. So I think Leon, it, it was it was you know it was a tight game, and but those those two things were were the difference. I think the Lopez error, and then obviously the the flop to Malcolm. Um, but I, I think one of the things we just before I pass it on was the Depravel the, the looks a lot brighter on that left hand side, and I think it's partly to do with having the pressure put off him a little bit. I think up front on his own. It started to get to him that you know he wasn't finding the net and Gorvanek wasn't willing to reshuffle that. And with Laborde back in the side, it's it's freed him up a little bit to move a bit more creatively, find the spaces, and I mean scoring goals again. Um, so it's three and two now, isn't it? So you know that's 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 definitely a positive for, for Bordeaux. But back to the dive, yeah, terrible flop. <laughs> I thought um, Olas's comments were quite interesting on it because um, obviously, <laughs> well, he was he was on. Um, I think he was on Lecky's channel this week and um, got a lot, a lot of social media attention for for saying that he never criticises referees. And sort of yesterday after the match, he kind of backed it up by not exactly criticising the referee, but criticising the fact that the referee was chosen to referee the match 
because he was the ref when Mariano won a penalty for Lyon with his disgraceful dive recently against Toulouse. So he was suggesting that referee shouldn't have been picked because he might have been looking to even it up. <laughs> hmm. But uh, yeah, <laughs> that's that's almost uh, classic. All us is maybe the nice yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, yeah he, he, I'd give him a ten, really, Malcolm, for that dive. He he really sold that one. I, I do feel a little bit sorry for the ref. I, I, it is very very theatrical, but and especially in slow motion, we obviously have the advantage of replays. The the referee only has one chance, and in in that scenario where it looks like he stopped and it looks like the player's gone past him and and stuck a leg out, not obviously hasn't caught him. But in those scenarios where players are going so fast, that I do feel sorry for the referee that he's missed that one. That's the kind of thing that you might argue VAR would be fantastic for, where that that's such a clear and obvious dive, and you would know that from the first viewing that um, it would really help the referees out on those kind of uh, sticky ones. Where it, it, if he, if he doesn't give it and it is a penalty, it feels like a stupid decision. If you get what I mean, if it, it feels like that should be an obvious penalty if he does connect with him. Obviously, the referee can't quite see it, but uh, um, I do have some sympathy with with him for that. But there was one terrific performance I wanted to talk about, actually, really, and, and uh, I saw Rich mention this and a few other people, and that's uh, uh, Maite in the middle of the midfield um, for Bordeaux because we we talked last week about how good Paris um, well, Leon's midfield, sorry, were against Paris Saint-Germain in uh, Undombele and, and Toussaint. And uh, they brought Toussaint off at halftime because they needed more attacking incense and Maite just got better and better. He was a, an excellent shield. He he distributed it well. Um, he added some steel to a... So in front of two brand new defenders, essentially one returning back in loan for in Pablo and uh, and the, uh, the young 19-year-old that they started as well for his... Uh, one of his first league and games as well, which is he was relatively impressive as well. But uh, especially Maite, he really added something that we mentioned when he was brought on loan from Monaco that they needed someone to be a shield, someone to add balance to the likes of Varda and and uh, and uh, Larage and and Sankare because they they all are a little bit too um, not defensive enough really and it, it left gaps in front of a really slow defence but they all of a sudden just look a little bit quicker look a little bit stronger and uh, that really contributed to a Leon side that Jez after a really great result just felt a little lethargic there wasn't quite the the verve or, or the uh, uh, je ne sais quoi you might say um, that we saw against uh, the champions well the, the league leaders sorry um, a, a week ago yeah I, d- I don't know why that is um, was I don't was Ndombele playing I don't yeah, yeah. think he was he was, he was. Um, I, yeah I'd, I mean you know Morel had a poor game um, the the players that you expect to, to sort of run the show like Fekir were, were relatively quiet I guess it, it happens to most teams every now and again but it's kind of disappointing maybe it's just Bordeaux somehow got Lyon's number because they got that that three all draw earlier in the season as well um but yeah it's sort of I mean it was a bit like it's a bit harsh to, to compare Bordeaux to that but it was a bit like Liverpool the other day sort of beating Man City and then losing Swansea a week later. Like Leon sort of did the, the really hard work last week. I guess, you know, it has been quite an intensive week for them, sort of PSG at, at the weekend, Monaco midweek. Um, so they are two tough matches, but on recent form, um, both Bordeaux's, well, I said they're improving, but, you know, generally their, their form hasn't been great, obviously. And Lyon seven away wins coming off those two wins against two of the top three teams, you'd have expected it to be a bit of a closer closer run thing. And frankly, Bordeaux were, were pretty comfortable. You know, the second half was a little bit of a non-event because, you know, that they, they held Lyon at bay quite comfortably. And as you said, Mate was excellent. And strange because at Monaco, a lot of the... A lot of the players who came in in the summer have at least been given fleeting chances. Mete barely barely was given any chance at all. I think it was decided quite early on that, that he wasn't up to it. Um, but yeah, he really he really looked the part on Sunday. And I mean, Monaco, there's like Benacer as well. In Monaco, have got a couple of of decent defensive midfielders all alone elsewhere now that they could possibly do with having in their ranks. 
Yeah, I agree. I really like Ben, ben Ellis here. I think he's had a, a really good season for Cole as well. Um, we did briefly touch on it last week, Peter, that maybe with Leon obviously closing a gap to PSG, that maybe a title challenge might be on in, the, in if we got a little bit lucky. That probably has been laid to rest now. Yeah, I, th- I think pretty much so. I think, like I think, as Sam was mentioning it last week, if you if you if it was to happen, you've got to have Leon winning consistently week in week out. And as we've said, as Jez outlined, they do have this this in them that this this ability to switch off, which I think is part and parcel of having a young side. Um, Genesio also doesn't strike me as the uh, as a strong willed man manager as well. So after coming off games against Monaco, uh, off against PSG, Monaco, suddenly it gets to your head. People are talking about them, you know, definitely the second best team in France. You know, they're the only team that can challenge PSG. It does get to your head. And unless that's drilled out of you, um, and obviously there's the, the emotional fatigue of it that you have to consider, then, um, then you know, you, you can slip up. And against a Bordeaux side that look to have found new wings since um, Jeanette, uh, Gorvenek has gone, um, obviously, the new manager bouts, and I agree that Poyet is the kind of manager who can galvanise a team. Then, um, you know, the, the, you have the recipe for a defeat there. And I don't, yeah, and it, yeah, and I think any hope that we had of a of a title race is is gone. But it does mean that the uh, the top, well, the, the the second to fourth battle remains on the Champions League spots. Um, looks very very good indeed. So we can always look forward to next weekend as well with mm-hmm. uh, Leon Monaco again. Yeah, it's, they keep coming thick and fast, and I'm so glad about that. These thigh rubbers in the in Liga, and it's, it's keeping everyone on the edge of their seat, really. And it's a shame that we only have a, maybe a, a couple left to enjoy, really, this season, but they have been terrific, really. But yeah, that title challenge, it, I was maybe backing it a little bit too much last week. That there might be something, uh, maybe if, uh, if a run of results went together, maybe PSG concentrated on too many... Um, too many cooks, sort of too many pots going at the same time, but uh, it does look like it's over really now. Um, on to the point where I, I am absolutely certain Jez has been uh, itching to talk about really, and it's uh, four wins in their last seven and three straight at home. Rue scoring goals after goals, seven, well, nine, his, his, his joint with his league best, and it's uh, five and five as well at the moment for him. Mets are fighting back they really are jess um what's happened um i think probably i mean the again a few different little factors but probably the the bottom line is frederick hans has happened um you know he's got previous building very sort of strong solid team unit um not always pretty because generally where he's been he hasn't had resources to 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 make it pretty but He's always built teams that have been difficult to beat, and um, I think you know that the the start of Messi's season was so awful that you know it really what morale was just rock bottom. A lot of Mess fans talk about the match against Amiens where they 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 were probably the better team. Then Amiens scored, and Mets heads completely went down, and Amiens just controlled the rest of the game, scored another one for for good measure, and. Um, that was probably as as low as as low as it was getting for Mess. There was just no belief, no confidence, nothing. Um, and he's rebuilt that. He's brought in players like Palmieri, who are you know not the type that are going to sort of um, lay down arms easily. A um, couple of can- canny signings. Um, yeah, he's managed to find some great form from from Nolan Rue and Emmanuel Rivier as well as as um, sort of contributed quite a bit as well. And um, I mean, it, it might it might be that they were sort of, you know, so cut adrift that now they're playing with with freedom because they've got absolutely nothing to lose. But I think it's probably a bit more than that. I think Hans has just given them a bit of di- belief, a bit of, um, I don't want to say backbone, but um, sort of fight back ability, and and a few players sort of clicking at the same time, arguably. Um, it wasn't entirely clear who the number one was, who the goalkeeper, starting goalkeeper was, and possibly Didion's injury kind of came at the right time to, to sort of save anyone having to make that difficult decision as it was made for them. And Kawashima has, has performed really well for Mess as well. So I think it's a few factors all sort of coming together at the same time, but definitely 
Hans is the sort of glue that, that's made it all happen. And that's the thing we said when he came in, really. It felt like he was the right man for the job at the time and that he'd done quite well at Montpellier and was just probably unlucky to, to have lost his job there, really, towards the end of last season. And uh, it felt like if he could get a couple of things right, that they could start changing things around. And they have, and they some great results, really. I mean, 3 0 against Santete was terrific. The result of the weekend was great, even though obviously um, Nice spent a lot of that time uh, a man down and had some really excellent chances that were missed. But you can only beat what's put in front of you, Peter. And uh, in one man, but in particular, we were, the worry we had is that they didn't have a goal scorer um, and that both the players they had aren't goal scorers until now. Uh, Nolan Rue in the form of his life, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a bit weird, isn't it? Um, but he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's found goals all of a sudden. Um, he's not renowned for, for having a strong season-by-season season record, but... Um, it's what it's what Mets needed. I mean, last season they had uh, Chet Diabate chipping in with the goals when he came in on loan, and Ismail Assar as well. Um, and it, it felt like they didn't have it. it would, well, it felt like we couldn't see where they were coming from. But playing off off Riviere, Rue has found a, a a new lease of life. Um, and yeah, it, again, he's <laughs> scoring good goals as well. Um, I just. I mean, he's been involved in six of the last ten, so this is a whole new focus on him. And I think it's been helped by the return of like George Manjek behind him. Um, just been given those opportunities um, for the creativity that that Rene uh, has been able to produce from deep a deeper position. Um, I think this Milicevic um, has made a big difference as well because. And he's sort of similar to Coad, maybe a little bit more offensive-minded, but Coad was just trying to take on so much by himself. And now having someone else there, and as you said, Manjek as well, who was really actually unpopular <laughs> during his first stint, but so far so good with him. Um, now they're, they're sort of three kind of central midfielders who are able to, to share the responsibilities between them rather than Coad trying to do everything by himself. And um, Messi's winner the other night was, I mean, it's one of the better goals I've seen Mess score for years of Milicevic sort of spreading it wide. Great cross by Mole and then, a, yeah, great finish by Rui. What really interested me about um, Mets as well is reading really the injury list that they had a couple of weeks ago as well. They, they looked like before the sort of Monaco game, they had a, a fair few players out, but they're slowly coming back as well. They've, they've brought quite nicely. Um, thinking of uh, Palmieri's added an instant impact. You mentioned Manjek there and, and Milicevic as well, both adding to it. There's, there's rumours that they're looking at uh, Lamin Sane as well from from Werder Berryman, who we do remember from his uh, from his spell at Bordeaux, that would be an interesting signing to bring into the fold, uh, an experienced player. And um, one player that was injured in, in Mole coming back at, at the weekend and, and setting up one of the goals as well, he, he's really took to the fire when he has been involved as, as, as well. And that's really great to see. They just have a, a spirit about them at the moment. They, they were a little bit... It was a tough game against Monaco, really, and you did worry after that one that with Kawashima being sent off and them really not really putting up much against Monaco. They, they had their brief moments and obviously did grab the, the goal in the end, but um, they've not really lost a stride. I mean, this is a team that had not won one game until sort of the very end, just before the winter break, and then they have gone an absolute tear. The, the only real issue, Jez, is that they're not catching anyone at the moment now they were they were doing briefly but everyone else keeps winning above them so it just has to keep going that's that must be Hans's mantra at the moment is keep going yeah i mean that that's the concern that you know they were sort of unlucky that just as they're hitting this form they had um monaco nice and marseille three straight matches and Monaco, even though it was 3-1 and monaco very good for their win it was it was a much better performance from mess um, you know, down to 10 men quite harshly. They still sort of put up a good fight and it took a couple of very good goals in the end to, to beat them. Um, and then, yeah, Nice, I wasn't really expecting much from that either, but they managed to get a win. Next week, I got, you know, I'd be surprised if, if we got a point. But this week was really frustrating because, as you said, everyone else won. Mm. 
but you know if they're winning it means other teams aren't and i suppose you have to say it sounds crazy because they're so far back but it is in Messi's hands in that if they keep keep getting the results that they they can get you know even if there's the odd defeat against i don't know you know Lyon, psg marseille um over the rest of the season they do still have to play most of their rivals if they can get wins in all those matches um then they can get out of it and it's all so bunch you know you see bordeaux win a couple of matches and suddenly they're in the top 10 when you know they were in crisis and in danger of relegation a couple of weeks ago i'm not saying mess are going to shoot shoot up the league but the fact that it's close means that there's not everyone's going to be able to escape from from the sort of the lower half and from trouble so if they keep beating each other but mess keep consistently winning theirs then they'll you know they've got a chance i'm still i still wouldn't put any money on it but you know this year exactly and you know the fact that there's um the the playoff now that is sort of you know i suppose they could say you know we're aiming for third bottom it's not ideal but considering where we're coming from that would that wouldn't be too bad we're still giving ourselves another chance and if we come into that in good form then you know at least that's something um yeah so sort of one stage at a time but it's frustrating everyone else won but then if mess hadn't they'd be even further adrift so they just have to worry about themselves i think that's that's the interesting thing, really, you mentioned, Jez. I mean, they might be aiming for that player for the moment, but at the same time, if you get them, themselves in that fight at the moment, I mean, you start looking again, Toulouse on 23, Trois on 24, Lyon on 25, so we're Angers, so we're Amiens, Saint-Etienne are on 26, Colin of Strasbourg on 27. Again, there's a couple of teams still on the in the late 20s as well, slightly up in that. So as soon as you're in that mix, as soon as they get level with those, they just maybe then they can sort of jostle for the positions like everyone else is. That's where they need to get to, isn't it? And I mean, you did mention, obviously, they got Marseille at the weekend on Friday, or on Friday, that um, if they can nick a point, that would be a good one. And then you look at the games after that, especially the next four games. I mean, Montpellier at home, Trois away, Gangomp, who have, have slipped off the, off the sort of, they won five in a row and then have slipped off again in the last couple of weeks. You've got that them away. And Toulouse, obviously, straight above them at home. It, it's just a ideal run of games. I mean, Montpellier aren't always the greatest away from home. Trois have been in and out of form and, and quite comfortably out of form at the moment, really. It's a great chance for them. If they can just keep that momentum going against Marseille, get some players rested possibly for that cup game against Khan. Don't worry too much about that one and start getting that, keep that ball rolling. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely certain that's what Hans will be doing at the moment. He'll be, he'll be irate of sort of going, let's keep going. We're bringing more players in. We're bringing, we're trying to do a little bit more. Final question for you, Peter, because Jez has briefly kind of nudged around it. Can they do it? Yeah, no, definitely. I think the, you, six points is not unassailable. Um, I think, Oh, is, it, is it eight? Is it, is it eight to safety? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's it's a couple of clubs um, in crisis, and suddenly you, you know Mets are back in it. And we've seen different clubs at different stages of this season go through really tough spells. Obviously, Lille have had to change manager, Saint-Étienne have changed manager, Bordeaux have changed manager, um, Toulouse have changed manager now. So you, it only takes a couple a couple of clubs to hit the wall, and you know, and then suddenly. They find themselves caught up with Mets, and if Mets keep ticking over, then of course they can stay up. Yeah, They'd, at least they've given themselves the chance with with this run of form. Because otherwise, it re yeah, it reaches a point where if you're so far cut adrift, then you you write the season off. But because they've done it at this stage and they haven't left it too late, there's there's every hope. I just hope that come the end of next weekend, we're not sort of nine points adrift because I think that would be pretty demoralising. Mm. Um, sort of come, you know, to to have been on this great run and then felt like it hasn't made that much difference um but if yeah six seven points after after these three games then i think that they'll come out of that feeling quite good and not that we're looking too far ahead but <laughs> most mess man fans have already seen that we've got a relatively um doable last month or so whereas teams like amia have got amia's the last three matches of the season are PSG and Marseille and Mess in between. 
Oh, and Monaco before that. So if Amiens are down, Amiens down there around that time, then you know, they could be struggling. But that's yeah, it, looking a little bit far ahead. <laughs> it's, it's that dumb and dumber moment, isn't it? So you're saying there's a chance is what we mentally say at the moment. That's the, <laughs> that's the main thing, really. There, there is a chance, and that's what we like. There's a, there's a few little teams that are, I'm thinking Cologne as well in Germany that are slowly starting to rise again. It's, I love these moments where teams that look like they were dead and buried are, are starting to maybe fight back. We, I mean, we mentioned <laughs> relatively early on that we thought Mets might be might be goners, but they're slowly creeping back into it. But on to transfer news with obviously deadline day fast approaching. The slams shut on uh, Wednesday. In fact, just about exactly two days according to a Sky Sports counter, but uh, it might be slightly different, obviously, with our French rules. Um, let's talk about one move that looks like it's going through at the Premier League, and it's been reported by Sky themselves as well, and that's Lucas, 25 million to Tottenham. Supposedly, he's on a plane to London now for his medical. Peter, we, we discussed that this briefly in a, a in a couple of weeks ago as well, the, the potential move to Spurs. It looked like he was shown around the, the uh, training ground last week um, during a visit to England. Um, is this the right move for him? Uh, that's what I'm thinking. It's obviously a great move for Paris Saint-Germain to get him off the books and get the money. Tottenham adding another player to their mix. But is this the right move for him? Uh, well, he's, he's linking up with Serge Aurier, which, which will help his, his, his how he settles. But I think the, the question was whether he would go permanently. And obviously PSG want the money, which is why they've been so forceful in doing that. And I think maybe Spurs would have preferred a loan to see how he would have done. Um, but for him, I think I don't see him being first choice um, uh, at Tottenham. He will provide, he'll give them something different, which is a bit of pace, which they which they do lack. Someone who can get in behind and can also uh, run at people. Um, I mean, he was. Is it a good move for him? I think the, the 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 most promising aspect of the transfer, from his perspective, will be working with Pochettino, and I think. Even though he hasn't featured that much this season, I think last season he was excellent. His return was really, really good. Um, I think working with a manager like Pochettino will help him to uh, to settle. First of all, I think Lamella was one when he first joined, very much out of depth in the, in the Premier League um, in time, and he started to perform exceptionally well before before he got injured and had that extensive period on the sidelines. But I think. Lucas will definitely look at Pochettino as a manager who can help bring the best out of him, uh, make him a consistent performer, um, and and someone who can, you know, take that next step up. And I feel like his when he moved to PSG, he was there was so much talk about him, so much chatter, and it's not that he's underperformed it in Paris by any means, but it, it, he hasn't set the world alight in the way that I think a lot of people thought he might. Um, I don't think that will happen at Tottenham, but I think with Pochettino, he'll be able to add traits to his game that will make him consistent. And the 25 million euros for him is not bad in the current market either, um, if they can get the best out of him. I think a lot of work will have to go into it, go into him um, to, to, to help him adapt and, and, and to progress. But I think under Pochettino, he's definitely the right man for him. What do you think about this move, Jez? I mean, it does really add some nice depth to Tottenham. I mean, Lucas is probably desperate now to to really get out of PSG and, and get some kind of game time, even if it's not regular first team football every single week in week out. Um, but it's a chance for him to maybe re really rediscover what well, Paris Saint Germain invested in in the first place. Yeah, I mean, by all accounts, he doesn't he didn't want to leave PSG, but you know, clearly they they don't want him. Um, you know, partly because they need the money, but partly he's just obviously not part of their plans now. And I do think there's still a very good player in there somewhere. Um, as as Pete said, that you know the fuss that was made and the sort of the I think it was a battle between PSG and Man United, and it was really seen as a big coup when when PSG got him. And his sort of, in a way, his whole career is summed up by that that amazing run against Marseille, where he sort of took on the whole Marseille team, beat them, and then just um, last touch, just carried the ball a bit too far, and Mandanda managed to, to smother the shot. That You know, there's clearly so much talent there, and just often it was missing the end product. Um, so I, th I think he definitely needs a change. I think he's got the quality to, to um, join a, a top European club. 
Um, but yet yeah, then it's kind of it's up to him and up up to Pochettino to to get the best out of him for him to sort of really get his head down. You know, for example, I think at this stage he's a, a in a way similar but better player than um, than Sissoko. Um, I mean, he plays. He's always played wide for PSG. I'm not. I've never been convinced that's his best position. I think he'd be quite good as a sort of um, linking central midfielder. You know, um, I don't want to say box to box, but I think he's the type that could link defense and attack. You know, maybe a sort of Lampard type that you know that could time his runs perfectly to to sort of come in from midfield and, and support the attack. I really think that, that he's a talent. I'm just not sure if he knows what exactly he is, where exactly he's going. So I think it's time to move. And I, yeah, time will tell whether it's the right move or not. But certainly under Pochettino, if he's given chances, he can thrive. I think Pochettino is an excellent manager who does seem to get the best out of people. So um, that's sort of high hopes for him in a way not too much because I'm not a big Spurs fan but <laughs> <laughs> it it does feel like the right manager though doesn't it um it, like having Pochettino there it just feels like the right kind of person to put an arm around him and, and find his right position and really sort of repair the the broken toy that maybe is Lucas really at the moment it's it's hopefully it's a good move for him but let's talk about players coming into Liga because that's what we love the most obviously and and one kind of returning because obviously he was mainly league deux, and that's Diafra Sacco um, who's joining Ren from West Ham. Um, it's been a, a tough few years really for the Frenchman, Peter. He, he struggled with injuries. He's only played or started at least two Premier League games in the last two seasons because of injuries, but he, he really hit the ground running there with six goals in six games, But it, and he always seemed to perform well at least anyway when he was fully fit. That's the important thing now for Ren, isn't it? It's a, it's a big outlay in 8 million for, for a league and team, but it's getting him fit and getting him firing. Yeah, it's definitely injuries that have held him back at West Ham. Um, I always found it bizarre when when uh, David Gold put the foot down on, on his move to, to Ren in, in the summer. I mean, obviously he was concerned about injuries in the West Ham squad, but it never really felt like he was going to get an opportunity to play this season and that hasn't transpired. So, I think Ren will be pleased that they finally got him after the deadline day drama last time, where he, I think he came, he was in Ren, and then he did a, he had a medical, but there was no agreement at all. It was all a bit of a farce. But anyway, he's he's there now, and there's a position there for him. I mean, Ren have been using Kazri up top. Um, Kazri's done okay, uh, but I wouldn't call him an out-and-out striker. And I think having that focal point will be really useful for them. One interesting side note to that, though, is is that the the rumours linking Mobile on loan to to Toulouse. Mm. Um, I found that quite strange. I mean, whenever I've I've watched Ren, I've Mobile has been one of the better performers for me. For me, I mean, he's still relatively raw in, in his end product, and you know, looks like he can produce magical moments and then you know can s- screw the ball wide. But I, I I I think he's been one of their better performers, and to, to Shove him on loan to Toulouse is well for me. It was a bit bit surprising, but I wonder if that's to do with the Sacco move. I'm not sure what you guys think. Just what do you, what do you think? I mean, is it should they maybe be keeping hold of Mbele, Mbele as like a, a backup, or or do you think it's maybe best that he does move on and maybe maybe start again at, at Toulouse and try and help them as well? well? I thought he started the season really well, and then um, possibly went off, but everyone seems to do that a little bit around. So um, the fans sort of went off him a little bit, but I still think there's a lot of potential there. So I guess they're thinking if we're bringing another striker in, Mubele won't get many chances, so at least let's give him some some first-team action elsewhere. And, you know, if it is alone, then hopefully we'll come back a, a better, more experienced player. But I am a little bit surprised, seeing as they are the type of team that chop and change a lot, that you just thought that they'd want to keep um, as many options open as possible. Um, Especially because um, they've been playing, as Pete said, like playing Kazri up front is not really a striker. They've been playing Saar up front when he's been fit. He's not really a, a central striker either. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're, they're, by their actions, they're sort of telling everyone that they don't have many out-and-out strikers. So I'm a little surprised that they're, they're getting rid of him. But, um, I mean, it will be temporarily, but... Um, I'm quite excited to see Sako come in. Obviously, I've got a bit of a soft spot for him from from what he did for Mess in in Ligue 
And if it means that Sar is going to move to the wing and have a target man to, to aim at, then you know if that partnership clicks, that that could be pretty awesome for Ren. Yeah, that's the thing. Is it's, it's almost like uh, Liverpool and Southampton now, isn't it? Ren buying all the uh, old Mets players from them. At least anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's mention two more really interesting ones, really, and it's young players mainly moving. And I'll give one of them to each of you, and I'll, I'll start with you, Peter. And that's um, Monaco's move, and it's a big move, really, around twenty-five million euros, really. And they beat out the likes of Juventus and, and other Italian teams to sign a. Pietro uh, Pellegri um, from Genoa. Um, he's made his Serie A debut at 15 last season and he's only 16 years old. He's grabbed uh, three goals in that time in uh, in about seven or eight games. But um, one for the future, certainly for Monaco. I'm, we safely assume him maybe will really be maximum a backup and obviously maybe in that Carrillo role for the rest of this season but um, a man that a lot of Italians are very excited about and someone that hopefully Monaco can uh, turn into a superstar yeah he's at the right place for that for that kind of progression and uh, he talks well Um, I saw his comments about when he said he was leaving he said it was it's the right time for him to go and I just thought (laughs) 16 Um, but yeah no Monaco is a great though Obviously, it's one of the best places to go for, for his development. Um, he's clearly a player with a lot of potential, a lot of talent. But when they are so young, it's really important they're managed in the right way. I mean, players that I can think of who've had debuts as young as he has would be potentially Romelu Lukaku. Um, and he's, his development, he was very much aware of what he wanted to do, where he wanted to go. And you saw that with his career progression when he finally got to Chelsea and then moving to Everton and making those right decisions at the right time. So... I think this could be uh, a shrewd move for Monaco. I mean, they've invested a lot of money in him as well. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to follow how he does. Yeah, I mean, I've seen him a couple of times really briefly for, for Genoa. And it's mainly been highlights, but he, he does look like a, a strong young lad. He's he's very tall. He's like six foot five. He does uh, mention that his idol and main influence is uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, which will... Uh, Delight some really, but it's. I was worried you're going to say Lassina Traore. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully not, at least for the young lad. He, I think he looks like a really interesting prospect as a, as a forward. He he's got a little bit of everything really, and that's why they're so excited. And I think it's the right kind of move. I mean, Genoa are maybe struggling a little bit this season at times. They they maybe have just sort of lifted themselves a little bit recently, but. Um, it's a tough environment, Serie A, I always think, for, for young players. that It's such a, well, especially not this season, at least. It's not really a defensive league anymore from this season. But uh, um, it's it's tough to break in, really. A, a lot of Italian youngsters seem to wait until the sort of 2021 to really push through to senior teams, especially in those mid-table sides where um, so much is, is valued on staying in Serie A. They have a new uh, TV rights deal as well, I know, next season that's that's very, very profitable for some of the smaller clubs. So they want to try and stay in uh, Serie A. And it's, it's understandable. He's probably played less games because of that. What a perfect team to go to, though. Monaco, have uh, over and over again over the last sort of five years, brought young players and, and give them the time that they needed and, and not rush them. Think of Mbappe. I mean, I know he exploded, obviously, uh, but he was given the time. He wasn't rushed in any kind of way. They waited until that moment where he did explode, which is hopefully what will happen with Pellegrini in the in the future and uh, maybe he can uh, be the next uh, one out of the uh, of the Monaco uh, sort of glamour glamour players that they have, they've had in the recent past uh, final one really and he's kind of not moved in the end really. and that's Martin Terrier who's moved permanently at least anyway to Leon that will be his parent club now he he will remain at Strasbourg for the rest of the season they had to do some jiggling around a little bit, shall we say, to, to make sure that that worked out correctly, that he could move and still stay at Strasbourg because that was the, the real key in this move actually happening. And uh, Jez, probably a good move for all parties involved, really. Leon get an exciting uh, young player that's done well at under-21s and for Strasbourg this season. Leo get the money they probably really desperately need at this kind of moment where they they don't really have anything uh, going for them in the, in the transfer kit at the moment. And Strasbourg get to keep a striker for the rest of the season. Yeah, as you said, I think I think it works out perfectly for everyone. It's kind of funny with Leon; it's hard to sort of keep up with them at the moment because they've got Endon Bele, who's on loan from Amiens, but they're going to sign him. But they're already talking about selling him, and then they've got Terrier, who's they haven't they bought him, but they don't have him yet because he's a loaner 
on loan at a team that don't own him and um you know soon they're going to start selling players before they've even got them and um but you know just as monaco are a good team to to develop at so are leon and you know terrier's already you know arguably you could say that he's established already as a, as a league and striker he's really done well for for strasbourg this year he's shown you know pace strength skill he's done it for for the under 21s for for a lot of this campaign um the sort of european championship qualifying campaign under um sylvain ripple i think there's been um several occasions where it's terrier that's that's sort of pulled france out of a bit of a uh, dodgy situation in a few matches so he's you know he's clearly got a good temperament as well and you can imagine that you know if he stays fit and motivated he'll do very well at Lyon and you look at the the, the young French players they've got if they keep them all you know Toussaint and Rombele, Aoua, Fekir I guess you could still count one amongst that, Terrier that, that could be half of the French team of three or four years time um, Mendy behind as well, um, so you know it's, it's it's certainly a good environment to to be um, to be developing at. Um, you know, a little bit of pressure as well, but um, he looks like he can thrive under that. So um, yeah, I think it's a very good move for him. And as you said, Strasbourg will hope that he still sort of performs the rest of this year to to ensure that they stay in Liga and Lille. I was going to say it's like Tovan, it's not quite like Tovan. He did play a little bit for them last year, but they're sort of getting rid of a player before he's, he's you know, when he's barely played for them. But as you said, they, they need the money. So um, it works out well for them, even though I'm sure Lille fans will be sad to, to see him go. Yeah, at least it's not quite like Tovan in the taste no. that um, he kind of kind of forced that move upon Liam more than anything. I think in the end, at least. But um, yeah, great move for him. I, I, that, it's an excellent club to go to, isn't it? And uh, to stay at Strasbourg for the rest of the season and manage to get around that and, and make that work is is really commendable by at least the the French authorities to allow that to happen, really, because it was it's important for his development to keep playing football at the moment and uh, helping Strasbourg for the rest of the season as well. I'm I'm sure he'll be happy. About that, um, just enough time for our league and snapshots, then, and I'll start with you, Peter, because I know there's one big moment to mention, but also maybe some interesting developments at um, the league leaders at the moment. Yeah, a bit of PSG. Uh, Edison Cavani's broken a record, uh, top scorer one, uh, 157 goals, which we, we mentioned at the start, and everyone seems to know. But yeah, he's finally done it, and Neymar's allowed him to do it, so that's good. Um, but the interesting side of what I wanted to mention about PSG was um, the young players leaving. Um, so this week, Claudio Gomez is set to leave for Manchester City, another really promising player. Um, Abdurrahman uh, Barry has been linked with Chelsea and Wolfsburg. Um, Zagadou obviously went to, to Dortmund last summer. So there's it seems to be a growing trend of PSG's young talent that's leaving and they appointed uh, Luis Fernandez to oversee as head of youth development to try and stop this, to try and stop these players jumping ship. Um, but it doesn't seem like it's working. And I think it's a, it's a damning indictment of of the way they are, well, the, the way they're functioning. Um, symptomatic, I guess, of, of, of such large investments that in terms of homegrown talent, they're, they're not creating a what you will call a sustainable model. And I think that contrast with Manchester City is quite stru- uh, quite stark. You've got City investing in youth players and you can actually see now with City's investment in the Etihad and the Etihad structures around it um, in terms of young players coming through that there is actually progression. You look at like Phil Foden coming through and, and players like that and PSG haven't built themselves in that way and it seems like they're, they are losing some top talents. But that's just one to watch for sure to see if this continual drain of talent uh, carries on, yeah, I'm I'm really torn about that because I I completely agree with everything Pete said, but I eavesdropped on quite an inv- interesting conversation on Twitter between a, I think it was a PSG fan and a non-PSG fan about it, and the PSG fan was arguing that PSG have as many players in their first team that are sort of broken through their youth ranks as any others of the very top teams. And they think that they're they're being very harshly cheated. I haven't really made my mind up about that yet. <laughs> mm, yeah, it's, 
don't know which one I'll side on that one. <laughs> I, I want to talk about really an interesting one because I, I managed to catch Friday's game between uh, Dijon and Ren and uh, one man that was maybe forgotten about by a fair number of people in the glory that was Lois Dioni for some reason, for some last season at least anyway. And uh, he's headed to Bristol City now and hopefully he does well there. But uh, Julio Tavares was absolutely terrific at the weekend and uh, he's a really old-fashioned sort of target man and he he just adds a great depth to Dijon. I mean, they've got some really interesting players like Balmont had a great game as a sort of a central attacking midfielder um, at the weekend and, and Samaritano as well and Sleety and, and uh, Quan came on as well. Them all running around him um, just gives him extra ammunition. He scored plenty of goals this season again. It's eight goals so far, which is another terrific tally from him. And uh, he's just a really good footballer from my perspective. It, the amount of times the man chests the ball, must uh, he must be red raw after a game because he just <laughs> plucks things out of the air with his chest with with the majestic of sort of a Juan Mata maybe when he's bringing a ball out the sky with his foot. He, it, it's it's an odd art to some, but um, I really think he's, an, he's a great league and footballer and, and maybe uh, was overshadowed last season, but certainly not this season. He's been terrific and uh, he brings so much to that Dijon side. He allows them to play long when they need to, to get out of play. He's good with his feet. He scores good goals. Um, really excellent player and, and well worth uh, watching if you uh, get the chance to, because Dijon are a really good side, especially at home. It's three wins in a row for them at home now. And they uh, they keep looking like they're dipping back into the, the mire of it and then keep pulling themselves away. They can't quite decide where they want to stay this season, but um, he will certainly be the uh, the X factor that will probably keep them out of the mire in the in the end when all is uh, said and done. Um, Jess, to finish off, uh, what's your league on Snapchat? Um, mine's sort of more an observation and... We've actually mentioned a lot of the names tonight, but I just found it interesting this this um this window and possibly the summer as well. Just how many um how many players are, are coming back to France? Um, so I mean, we, I started I guess with with Payet and we're talking about maybe Sané coming back to to France with Mess, Sacco going to to Rennes. Um, you could even mention Poyet, who's um started his career at Grenoble. I'm sure you two can think of lots of others like Arnott at the moment. Um. I mean, I'm not. I'm not sure if it says anything. I mean, they'll come back with various sort of degrees of success and failure. You've got Antep and and um, coming back from uh, back to Saint Etienne after arguably, um, well, and Villa's sort of sabotaged a lot of his career. And Tep maybe has been a bit unlucky with injuries in Germany. But um, there's a lot. Of, yeah, a lot of players coming back, and um, I just. Yeah, just think it's quite an interesting sort of, not subplot, but an interesting thing that's going on amidst what is, I think, a, um, if at times the quality hasn't been as good as previous years, a really competitive league. And I thought it was interesting. I read in um, in Lekip today that the supposedly greatest, most exciting league in the world, the Premier League, has had 22 nil nil draws this year. And then it gradually goes down to I think Liga and Bundesliga have had the fewest with, with 11 each. So, um, you know, there's still a hell of a lot going for Liga, whatever um, some people say. And, you know, for, clearly for players as well as spectators, it's it's a good place to come back to. Mm, absolutely. It's good to see so many players come back and uh, we'll take the small victories wherever we can find them, at least anyway, at the moment. Um, <laughs> that's all we have time for this week. Uh, my thanks to Jeremy, Peter and all of you listening at home. Uh, join us for the preview show on Thursday and the Moon Show will be back at the same time, same place next week. Abianto and goodbye.